Amen. Have you opened your Bibles to the book of Matthew, if you will? Book of Matthew. I'm on my maiden voyage here with this lap, uh, iPad. I keep calling it a laptop. It's an iPad. Maiden voyage. <clears throat> so bear with me as I try to navigate this. It's got a lot of nice things to it. Matthew chapter <clears throat> 21. I'll make my way there. And we'll read the passage again that Brother Daner and his family read this morning. Matthew chapter 21. It says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And Jesus went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. We're going to talk about the triumphal entry this morning, and I want you to kind of put yourself in that scene. Just in your mind's eye, just take yourself back 2,000 years, put on your sandals, okay, and get there in this scene and see what's happening and what's going on. And we're going to try to answer who is this that came into the city, this triumphal entry. And then you need to answer the question in your, in your heart and mind. Who is Jesus to me today? Let's pray. Father, have your will and way. We're at the time of the reading of your word. God, we've sang praises to you. We've worshiped you together. I pray that our praise and worship was sweet-smelling to you. God, I pray that we'll just not take for granted those times when we can do that. Lord, you put a song in my heart. You cause us to want to sing. It doesn't make any difference how we sing, but that we sing because of what you've done. And now, God, we're surrounding your word. We've gathered around your word as if we've been out in the cold night and been freezing, and we find this blazing campfire, and we want to get in nice and close to it because of what it can do for us. God, what your word can do for us this morning would be tremendous if we just allow it in our lives. Have your will and your way. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Amen. During the Passover time, uh, Jerusalem was crowded with visitors. Crowded with visitors. I was doing some reading and they said that every Jew within a 20-mile radius of the city was supposed to attend this feast, this Passover. But also there were other people that came there 
from further distances. Some people estimate that there could have been as many as two and a half million people there. That's a lot of people. Now you look at Bakersfield. Bakersfield is what, 400,000 people or so in the city limits? And then you look at the outlying areas, you probably got eight, 850, something like that. I don't know how many people are in Kern County proper, but it doesn't take long and you get a lot of people. You go down to LA, you run into a lot of people. You go up to the Bay Area, you run into a lot of people, right? Go down to San Diego, you run into a lot of people. But two and a half million people, two and a half, no smog back then, by the way, uh, uh, no cars. But at any rate, it was the triumphal entry, triumphal entry. Bear with me, I'm touching the screen too much. Uh, it occurred on Sunday of the Passion Week, so a week before of the resurrection. And it's one of a few events that is recorded in every gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John records this triumphal entry. It's significant. It's of great importance. Why? Because Jesus, the Passover lamb, is heading into Jerusalem. Now keep in mind, as Jesus normally did his business, a lot of the times he would be kind of quiet about it. How many times would you hear him? He said, uh, <clears throat> he healed somebody and goes, and he'd say, tell no man, tell no man. You go back to chapter 8 of this book, and you, so you see where he said, tell no man what had happened. However, he set in motion a pretty big crusade, the entry into the city. Some might ask, why did he do that? Well, it might be, just a thought, it might be so that the Jews could not accuse him of saying, you never gave us a chance. If you had given us an opportunity, we'd accepted you as king. Now, this passage emphasizes that Jesus is the king of glory. So, number one, King Jesus comes in peace. King Jesus comes in peace. We find that in verses 1 through 5. He's coming in peace. Uh, ever since the disciples had identified Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, back in chapter 16. And Jesus can then state, he said, I said, I must needs go to Jerusalem. This is what he's doing. He's come to Jerusalem. Now he has arrived. He's arrived. And it's at the time of the Passover. You go back and you remember when John the, the Baptist in John chapter 1 announced the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. It is significant that by this triumphal entry into the city that Jesus was proclaimed to the world as God's Passover lamb of God. Matthew's account of this triumphal entry begins with Jesus sending two of his disciples. Look back at verse 1. <clears throat> and bear with me. It's allergy season. And so, I've taken some allergy medicine and I'm pretty dry. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples. Now Matthew does not mention the arrival at Bethany, but in John chapter 12, uh, John records that this happened six days before the Passover. It appears that Jesus probably stayed in the home of Mary and Martha and that Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. Amen? And he stayed there in that home. And he began his final week by sending these two disciples now into uh, the city, the village, to find this ass and the colt. 
And he says down in verse 3, he says, look here, it says, and he says, if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. He will send them. Jesus told the disciples, bring these animals to me. And if there's any question, you just don't know that the Lord has said. Now the Lord uh, indicates somebody that's in charge. Apparently, where they went and found this cult was another disciple of Christ. What are you doing with my animals? The Lord needs them. Okay. Okay. I just would have a stop and think this morning. If you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you're a disciple of Christ. When God calls on you to do something, do you say, okay, let's do it. You know, what he's given us to do and work with, we should just readily give right back. And that's what this disciple did. You go back to <clears throat> Luke chapter 19, verse 32 through 34. And we see that Messiah had the right to request whatever he needed. Matthew announces then in verses 4 and 5 that this act was to fulfill a prophecy. Verse 4, it says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and a coal of the foal of the ass, of an ass. It seemed clear that the Lord arranged to ride the colt into Jerusalem as a fulfillment of prophecy. You can find that back in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Prophesied this. Riding on a colt would be the symbol of humility and peace. And Jesus was not only proclaiming that he was Messiah by fulfilling the scripture, but also demonstrating that he did not come to conquer the nations. He came in meekly. He came in differently than any other king. We'll say more about that in a minute. Note that the Messiah is returned to in this passage, the king, the king. The triumphal entry was not the normal way that kings would arrive. Rulers usually came in on a beautiful horse. You envision a great white stallion coming in, and the rulers would come in, and uh, especially in Roman times, uh, Roman rulers would come in, and, and they would have on this great white horse, beautiful horse, and then they'd have all those soldiers behind them and the military, and it was quite a procession, quite a procession. But Jesus didn't enter in on a white horse. He entered in on a donkey, on a burden of beast. Uh, you know, how many of you have dealt with mules and donkeys? Uh, you, pack them, you pack them up with stuff, load them up, and they carry it wherever you want it to go. And that's what Jesus came in on. He came in not as a symbol of power, but as a symbol of humility, different than any other king. You see, he's a peaceful king, this king. There may have been some as they watched him come in on this donkey that laughed. You ever think of that? Huh. Well, that's no way for a king dander. Doesn't he know how to, he should come in on a horse if he's really a king? Maybe they made fun of him. No one should come in like this. Well, let me say this. The next time he comes, the next time he comes, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. He won't be on a donkey. He'll be on a great white horse flying. And he'll be coming with his ten thousands of saints. Secondly, King Jesus is acclaimed by the people. Look at verses 6 through 8. 
And as the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. Just to remind us again, make note here, the disciples did as Jesus had said. And that's what disciples are supposed to do. You're a disciple of Christ. That's what you're supposed to do. Disciples got the animals, threw some garments on them, almost like making a, a saddle type or a soft place for him to sit. And Jesus mounted up. And the Galilean crowd then turned the approach into a triumphal entry. Triumphal entry. They had people in front of him. They had people in back of him. You saw the, the children up here singing with their little branches. Some took branches and threw them out, cut them down and threw them in the roads for him to ride on. Other took literally clothes, their clothes, and threw them in the street. Why? They were announcing a king was entering the city. <clears throat> However, the treatment of Jesus literally flipped in just a few days. Just a few days. You see, most of the people's hope was to cash in on this prophet who was performing great miracles to the multitudes. Wait a minute. He's done this for this person. He's done this for this person. He's done this for this person. Maybe he'll do that for me. You know what? People were the same. This is still happening today. Still happening today. There can be a tendency within the heart of each of us to, to try to cash in on the blessings of God. Are you going to bless me, God? Are you going to bless me? If you're expecting Jesus to be a good luck charm for you, a rabbit's foot, well, you're going to be disappointed. You'll be disappointed. That's not to say that he won't help you financially, physically, socially, or vocationally, but he chooses not to. Don't lose hope. We need to realize that Jesus Christ came to die for our sin and pay the price for our iniquity. That's why he came. That's why his triumphal entry happened. If he never does anything else in this life for you or for me, that is enough. That is enough. That is enough. He's the hope of my eternal salvation. And he should have my eternal devotion. I think sometimes we think of eternal devotion, yes, in heaven. No, I'm talking now. Our eternal devotion to God. I owe him my life. You owe him your life because of what he did for us on Calvary. This morning across America, across America, there are many people sitting at home in their pajamas going to church. That's not going to church, folks. Going to church. We've had this pandemic, as they called it. Not going to get into discussion about it. Whatever it is, many people are taking this as an opportunity not to attend church. God did not intend for you to sit in front of your TV and watch church. God intended for you to be a part of a body and be in church. That means if it's here Sunday morning, in church. Sunday night, in church. Wednesday night, in church. Be in your place. Be in your place. But across America, you have some that are preaching, that are preaching a clear-cut gospel of the message. Praise God for that. There are some people, like my father-in-law, how you doing today, the coach? 
not doing good today. He said, I'm going to shelter in place. <laughs> okay. You know what he's doing right now? He's got the TV on. He's found him a biblically sound preacher, and he's listening to him. He can't be here, but there are those that could be here and are not. But others are sitting there and they're listening to some preachers tell their audience that Jesus is going to heal all your diseases and he's going to make you rich. Going to make you rich. Oh, I could name some right now and you guys go, oh, yeah. People love the gospel of prosperity and the deliverance from sickness. But that's not the picture that Jesus painted for his disciples. However, on one particular Sunday, oh, around 33 A.D. In the city of Jerusalem, there was a preacher who stirred the hopes of an excited crowd. For three years he had been preaching, going about Judea and Galilee, and he was healing those that were sick. He was making, allowing people to see. He was causing those that could not hear to hear, causing those that could speak, that could not speak to speak. He's causing those that could not walk to walk. He even rose, raised the dead. And now he rides into Jerusalem on a coat, and he's gladly receiving the acclaim by the people. But those who shouted Hosanna are accepting him for what he had done and what they were hoping that he would do for him, them coming up. They wanted an earthly Messiah. They wanted an earthly Messiah. Let me tell you, if you want a prosperity preacher and a, and a prosperity Messiah, then that'll just be good for here, folks but you're not laying up anything in heaven. Jesus didn't promise release from all the suffering of the world, but he did offer forgiveness. He did offer peace. He did offer eternal life. And it all happened on a cross. We like it easy. I like it easy. I don't like things to be difficult. If I have a task to do around the house, I want it to be easy. I want it to go smoothly. I don't want any hiccups. Well, that's not right. I put up a ceiling fan the other day. No, no. Oh, I just couldn't get those wires to connect. Why do they make these wires so short? And then I putting those connectors on there, putting that wires together, and it kept popping out. And I, this is not easy. As Christians, as people, we want it easy. The word easy, the Greek word easy, appears only once in the New Testament, and it's in connection with the yoke. It's not easy. Thirdly, King Jesus is crowned with praise. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, a prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. This morning, had the children sing, because down in verse 15, it says, And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. They were excited. They were excited about this king, that they thought it was going to come and take this tyranny reign of Rome off of them and he would set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. They were excited because they were going to have that king. You understand, that's not why he came. That's not why he came. 
Hosanna in the highest references the one whom the angels on high acknowledge or call upon. They're asking the, that heaven now join them in praising God. This morning, this morning, did you praise God as you sang? Did you worship God as you sang? Have you praised God in prayer this morning? His entrance, was, entrance into the city was so moving that you go back into uh, to, uh, Luke chapter 19. He said, if these people had not responded, these rocks would have cried out. Oh, that would have been something to see a rock crying out. The God of creation. The creation work, worshiping the creator. The crowd didn't fully understand the significance of this. Verse 10 indicates a suspenseful atmosphere and expectation that was going on throughout Jerusalem. It says, and when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Who is this? Sorry, I've lost. I'll get it. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city erupted. This is what I was talking about, erupted. The Greek word translated moved is what we get our word seismic, seismic from. Stay with me. The word moved, it says, and when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And that moved is where we get our word seismic. It is rendered quake crucifixion in chapter 27 it holds connotations of an earthquake but not a physical earthquake but the whole city was quaking mentally and emotionally when Jesus made his entry oh the anticipation oh the excitement in the air it was the electric as somebody might say his coming shook the city mentally and morally as if an earthquake might have shaken a city. I've been in some earthquakes. You folks have certainly have been in some earthquakes. They can be quite exciting, <laughs> to say the least. Gets the heart going. That's what was happening. Verse 11 says, And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, the prophet of, Nazareth of Galilee. Crowd didn't say the son of David. They said a prophet. They said a prophet. Sadly, as excited as they were, just a few days later, these same people were crying, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Why? Because he wasn't doing what they had prayed and hoped that he would do. Come and save our people set up a kingdom for the Israeli people here in the city of Jerusalem that's what we're looking for and when he did not turn out to be that king they said we don't want you give us Barabbas give us Barabbas Luke records this emotional impact upon Jesus turn with me to Luke chapter 19 Luke chapter 19 
This is Jesus here. We'll pick it up at verse 40. It says, And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Verse 41 and verse 42 says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. He wept over it. Saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this day, thy day, in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. He knew what he was coming into. He knew what he was coming into. That first Palm Sunday, one might have expected that Jesus the King to enter Jerusalem, like I said, on a mighty, mighty horse. But he chose to come in on a lowly donkey. You see, before he could come to King to reign, he had to come as a Savior to die. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus was a man of striking contrasts, showing his humanity and his deity. Alice and I, in our reading, have been in the book of John, and we're reading through different things, and we'll make mention ah, oh, there's this humanity, ah, oh, there's this deity. It's no different in his triumphal entry. A conquering king comes in and parades triumphantly in the city with all the display of glory and power. But there was something very strange about this triumphal entry. Very strange about it. The king was clothed in just regular clothing. He did not have on the royal garments. He wasn't surrounded by military. No. He was not proud and strong, boastful in, in this regard, but he came in meek. He was meek. Sent mixed messages to the people. He couldn't figure it out. They were doing the things that they knew to do. You see, throughout Jesus' ministry, what did he do? His teaching and example had been to exalt humility. Exalt humility and downplay pride. Someone has written of Jesus. He who is the bread of life began his ministry hungering. He who is the water of life ended his ministry thirsting. Christ hungered as a man, yet fed the hungry as God. He was weary, yet he is our rest. He paid tax, yet he is the king. He was called a devil. Yet he cast out demons. He prayed, yet he prayed, yet hears our prayer. He wept, but he dries our tears. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. He gave his life, and by dying he destroyed death. The lowly carpenter of Nazareth is also the mighty architect of the universe. Who is this? Who is this? You've got to answer that question this morning. I've got to answer that question this morning. Don't play this game where you say, oh, I know who he is. No, I'm talking about come to grips with who God is. Because when we come to grips with who God is, it will change our lives dramatically. It will change our thinking. Everything that we want to do will be because of him. And guess what? He'll take care of me. I'll be fine. He'll take care of me. 
Every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder, this morning, just thinking of that, that week that led up to the crucifixion, I wonder how many of those who enthusiastically cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, were then yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because he was not the king that they were looking for. They were disappointed. Some were obviously resentful. He had a golden opportunity to rally support as he came into to Jerusalem. But that was not who he was. That's not what he was about. He didn't try to downplay the triumphal entry. But they're saying he didn't capitalize. He didn't capitalize. It was a time to come together and defeat these Romans. You know, down through the century, this issue has not changed. If we follow Christ just because we think he's my good luck charm, he's my rabbit's foot, he's going to shield me from life's hardship, then we're headed for sad disappointment. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you need to understand that he died for you. He died for all men. He's not willing that any should perish. It's a free gift of salvation. You need to recognize your sinner. Ask God forgiveness of your sin. Receive him as your Savior and then walk in newness of life. Child of God, you may be here this morning and you've got sin in your life. I'll tell you, we need to renounce our sin. We need to turn from our sin. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John, 1 John 1.10 The question of that day is still the question of our day. Who is this? Who does your life say that he is? Father, I pray that you'd have your will and way. God, do a work in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.